When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up? Welcome to episode eight of LSQ. I'm Jenny LSQ. This is my podcast. It comes out every three weeks and features conversations with musicians and songwriters and producers. Uh, this episode, I'm excited to share an interview with the Kills' Allison Mosshart. I'll tell you more about that in a sec. Plus, every episode has something from my interview archive, which goes back to, like, the late 90s. Um, but this episode, it felt like the right time to share a 2007 conversation with Kanye West, because, you know, he's been saying a lot of stuff lately. Um, so yeah, something to look forward to later on in the episode. Stick with me. Um, but mainly, it's all about this conversation with Allison from The Kills. She's an incredibly talented singer, songwriter, performer, and visual artist. And seriously, if you've never seen her on stage with The Kills, her long-running and excellent band with guitarist Jamie Hintz, or The Dead Weather, her band with Jack White and others, dude... WTF, get to one of her shows. Her live vibe is transcendent. And the Kills uh, actually have a handful of shows coming up. A couple uh, in the Northeast this month, and then a couple on the West Coast in August, so get in there. Allison has been touring, actually, since she was a teenager, initially in a punk band called Discount, and you'll hear her talk about how a DIY foundation has really served her well, uh, and about how she sort of trains to perform at the level that she does. Sometimes she accidentally knees herself in the face on stage, but, you know, it's all in a day's work. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, Allison Mosshart of The Kills on LSQ. Thanks for having me over in the midst of uh, no problem. I'm sorry. I'm home repairs and all sorts of shit. Everything. It's all good. What is the, what interlude am I um, joining you during? I mean, I know that the Kills are touring coming up in May, mm -hmm. um, and obviously, list of demands. The cover came out just recently. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about that. But yeah, more generally speaking, I mean, where are we? Yeah, where, where, or where are you? Just what, what's, mm. what's happening for you in 2018 beyond the tour dates you've announced for the Kills? I'm still recovering from that 19 straight months of touring we just did. Um, sorry, I'm chewing. <laughs> She's hungry. I'm, Let her eat. I'm still hungry from then. Oh no. <laughs> hmm. Um. Yeah, kind of. Figuring out how to be home, and then I'm never really home, but getting geared up for the next thing, always, you know, taking care of myself, even though I have a cold, <laughs> doing everything I can not to be sick. I have an art show coming up in Mexico City. Oh, nice. When's that? Very soon. Um, it is, the opening is May 3rd. Oh, great. May 3rd and May 4th are the opening So just sort of just right before you start playing shows. Yeah, and I'm going to go to Mexico City pretty soon in a couple of weeks' time. And I'm going to be an artist in residence there and paint in a studio. Oh, wow. Kind of live in Mexico City for a hot second. Mm. Have you done that sort of artist in residence thing before? I have done it before. I've done it at a place called Hedgebrook on Whidbey Island off the coast of Seattle. Okay. Um, it's an incredible experience. That's very different than what... This is going to be, this I'm, you know, they're giving me studio space and I'll go there every day and just work. I hope they give me a boombox too. I don't know what we do about music. Maybe I should bring speakers. Anyway, you know, I'm just gearing up for this. Yeah. Uh, but I've painted the show already. So the show's done, but I'm going to go and paint, like just see how inspired I can be there and what I see and what, you know, see what happens really. It's an experiment. Yeah. And so... I know that you had you've had shows sort of on and off art shows in recent years. When did that seem like something that you wanted to really set aside time to pursue and not just have it be uh, a thing you would fit in, or was the first thing to get sacrificed if you got busy? 
Or has it always been equally in the mix, sort of, as it uh, is now? It's not always been equally in the mix. Um, but it started with being asked to do be part of a show. Because I had a lot of work. I paint all the time. So, thankfully, I paint quickly, and thankfully, I have tons of it. And when I was asked to do that show in New York all those years ago, um, I sent seven pieces. And I showed up at the opening, and it went great, and I sold everything, and it was a fantastic experience. And then... Ever since then, I've just been lucky enough to be asked to do, you know, um, like art fairs and group shows and solo shows. And it's exciting. But I don't really feel like I have to move things around or make time for it or squeeze it in. I kind of, like everything fits together if you want it to fit together, you know. And this is only two weeks of my life being in Mexico City, which could easily be spent just being at home in Nashville in my studio doing the same damn thing so you know um and I'm sure I'll learn a lot and I'm sure I'll probably write songs while I'm there and you know I'm sure it will be great creatively just to be in that environment um so yeah I don't know I never think about that uh trying to I don't ever stop one thing to make room for something else I always feel like there's room for everything all at once which is why I have a cold <laughs> and why I'm starving and I've not had any time to eat today <laughs> Something's got to give, but it's not the work. I'm intrigued about the idea that you imagine, because obviously this is what you've done, that the painting and, and ideas for songs mesh and come mm-hmm. together in the same space or whatever. And was that always how it was for you? I mean, when you first found that writing songs was, was a thing you gravitated toward as a kid, like... Did all of the creative things seem to be, you know... It's all the same family to me, and it's all the same part of my brain. And it, the same need, and the same desire, and the same, like, impulse, you know? Um, painting, for me, is almost like another form of performing. Sometimes I like painting in, like, rooms crowded full of people, and I don't know what that is. Like, I like to go to bars and write in, in bars, because there's just tons of shit going on around me. I feel completely at peace and alone. And it's weird, and I'm, I'm like that, so I think why I like being on stage. Um, there's something about like things moving and noises and lights, and I like riding in the car when I'm driving because there's so much stuff. Like the, like the vision changes every second. Um, all of it, it's all the same to me. A lot of stimulation. Yeah. That you are, that's sort of like in a cloudy layer around you. It's yeah, like, it helps it's available, very, but it's it helps not me distracting. Think very clearly. And <laughs> so when you were, what, what were the sort of earliest, like little kid creative things that you did? Well, I always drew and painted. My mom was a high school art teacher when I was growing up. And so that's basically what she would give me to do, you know, as a little kid. It would be like, here, sit down, here's a piece of paper, here's all this stuff. And lucky for her, I really enjoyed it and didn't move. I sat there and played with all the stuff. You know, I liked making pictures. And that carried on through my entire childhood. Never went away. Um, Music was the same thing. I was just obsessed with music. I would stay up all night as a little kid, like, listening to the radio on headphones, just not ever sleeping, just listening and listening and listening and listening to anything and everything. My just dad, local, the local, like, top 40 radio station kind loved of thing. Loved top 40. Yeah. That was all about it. And um, my dad, he's a used car dealer. When I was, I was a kid, like, he would buy a car. And this was at the time when, of course, like, the only music options in cars was tape decks. And so he'd buy these used cars, and they would just have, like, tapes floating all around on the floor. And, like, he'd clean these cars out and bring me home all the tapes. So my music collection was very strange. <laughs> I, literally, my music collection was, like, from a used car lot. <laughs> it's like some Skinner, some Run DMC. You just never know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I got a little bit of everything going on, and, and I loved it all. And, I and then you had a, a, did you have, you had a cassette boombox or something? Or Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I had stereos. I was very into stereos. I went through a period of time where I thought that if I took apart a stereo, I could put it back together again. I realized that I'm not that, I'm not like an inventor, but I thought I was when I was little. I took apart everything, put it back together. Why isn't it playing? I don't understand. 
Um, I was really into MacGyver as a kid, so this is why I thought I could do that. I thought that chewing gum would fuse mm. it back together. Oh, I tried Work it on MacGyver. But yeah, I was really into stereos <laughs> and boomboxes. I had, a, had quite a few of those. So the things that you found yourself listening to on purpose, again, like, I don't know if it was for you. I mean, for me, you know, we would, we would tape... You know, we would tape, yeah, tape, wait for the song to come on. Tape the radio. On the radio. Yeah. And so then you'd always have, you'd be missing the first five seconds of it, and you'd yeah. have the beginning of a commercial at the end of it. Yeah. But if you really liked a song, that's what, what sort of you would do is, or exactly. go buy the single maybe for a brief period of time. I had some singles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My dad brought home some singles for me. But when you, you know, there's the tapes coming in from dad that you have no control over what those are and there's the music on the radio that you have no control over but what were the things that you taped what were the things that you wanted to be able to listen to over and over again uh, on your own that came from the, the boys next door that lived next door to me there were like some kids in high school at least one of them was in high school and he had a lot of friends that would come over and they had built a ramp in like the cul-de-sac like right next to my house growing up and they would skate after school every day, and they had a boombox, and they would play all this really awesome punk music, you know? Um, and that's when I really knew. I, that's, like, very much when my opinions were formed about what I liked musically. You know, that happened, and when my dad brought me home a Led Zeppelin cassette, which I played so much until it broke. I mean, it was just like, no, this is... So good, you know. This is the coolest at, thing. At ever. first, I just like the music constantly on, like anything and everything. But you know, gradually it developed. Like, no, I like guitars, and I like like really crazy singing. I like you know fast, and I like. It. So it sort of developed that way, and and the skateboarding scene, which I was completely obsessed with as a child, and then into my early teens. It was so interlinked with music and art, and the kind of art that I loved, and like I loved skateboard art, and I and I. I was really just, I really gravitated towards that. And it kind of sculpted my musical taste and my artistic taste and from like a very young age. So I have a lot to thank for, for that scene at that time. Because it changed, you know, when I was in high school, the music surrounding that scene changed, the fashion, the style. The, yeah, that um, was the that, zone. At that, that point, I was already on tour, you know, doing... Doing, doing your band. Do. Yeah. yeah. Because, right, because your band was on tour by what, like 97 or Even so? Earlier. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think I was 14 when I first went on tour. And my musical tastes were totally like, you know, I was like, I loved everything on Discord. I loved right. like, you know, like hardcore punk. And so that's what these kids were playing yes. is like Discord records yeah. shit. And they could get the late hands 80s, all of it. late 80s yes. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That's what I loved. Um, many of those bands I never got to see. I mean, I was too young to go to shows. I was I I played more shows than I'd actually seen. You know, by the time I was playing shows, which is crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I always just hoped there was a cool band I could check out at my show because you know it was just that kind of thing. I grew I grew up in a really small town that didn't have music venues. There was not a place to play. If we wanted to do a show, we rented a building and put a show on. Um, so. That was that was very common among that scene, like that kind of music, those kind of bands. Our age um, was to put on these events that we wanted to go to, and I spent most like uh, quite a few of my years touring in that kind of environment. You know, like house shows, schoolhouse shows, women's center shows, skate park shows, things There's like no that. There's no substitute for um, for that kind of shit, though, in a way. Well, it's a real it's... learning curve. I mean, I, I'm so glad for that education. I, mean, I know how to book a tour. I know how to make a t-shirt. I know how to make a zine. I know how to get people to come to shows. I know how to make a record. I know, you know, like, I know how to drive the van. I know how to read the map. I know how to let every little tiny thing. And there was never, like, we all had to do all of it all the time to make it work. And so there wasn't, like, one side of the business where I was like, eh, not me. It's like, no, you're getting on the phone. And, you know, every, every little thing. So... I value that education so much because later in life, when things get a little bigger, you know, um, I don't f shy away from those things or being involved or know what's, know what's going on, you know? Right, because you know nobody's going to... a lot of people who do. Right, because you know, nobody can bullshit you because you know all of it. Yeah, especially like some young club promoter who's just put his foot in the door and I'm like, uh, I've been doing this for... For 20 years that's not how it works yeah they didn't work with me maybe you're you know it's so you run into that all the time yeah. and um, I'm just so thankful that I know better you know yeah uh, it's great 
I wouldn't trade that time. They're sleeping in a van with like six people on the side of the road for anything, you know. Thank God I did it primarily so I never have to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) So the earliest touring that that your band Discount did, which was the first band that you had with friends, right? Yeah. Um, how did that, how, how did you get tours initially when there was just some local shows and you're underage and that whole thing, just sort of get the book your own goddamn tour zine and stuff? Maximum rock and roll. I mean, man, I was pen pals with people all over the country. We, we wrote letters back then. We sent people, you know, tapes, we sent tapes to other bands and to clubs, you know, I don't know what I mean at club, but like this guy you've heard of in Santa Barbara that does shows in his basement, like you send him the tape. And you hope you can get booked and you just put together an itinerary and you make calls and you write letters and you wait for responses and then you put it together. And sometimes you're on the road and you're like, you don't know, you don't have a show the next day and you want one and you talk to people in town or figure out where you can play the next day. You walk around all day telling people about it. Um, it was awesome and it always worked. And did you like it right away, the, the existence on the road? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I was completely, like, in from the word go. I loved it. Growing up, my, my parents did this wonderful thing for me. They, they loved to travel. So what we did was my dad would buy, like, a van or something like that, you know, and we would all get in it and just drive around the entire country for three months until I had to go back to school. No destination. That's awesome. Exactly. Like maybe a few relatives we were going to hit like here and there, but it was just like campgrounds or wherever. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I won't sleep outside, but nor is my dad. Thank God. He's like, nope, we're inside of the AC, inside the van. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, But I just always loved that moving and not knowing what town I was going to wake up in and what the next place was going to be like. Um, it was all a big adventure to me as a kid. It was never a drag. I loved it. And um, I'm thankful for that because that constant movement really agreed with me from a young age. And so it really goes never bummed about, I don't know if I'm going to get to see my bedroom for a month and a half. It was like, it'll be there. Right. You know, I didn't, I had no, like, I'm not like a creature of comfort. Like it's all the adventure far surpasses the, the knowing. And, and I like that so much. So I was a perfect candidate for that kind of job it makes sense as well though that you find the in a moving vehicle to be a creative space I think if you it's just so wonderful yeah you know like so do you during those summers I mean were you hopping around a little bit in time I mean were you writing songs in your head in the van over the yes, summer always, as a little kid yeah not for any purpose other than to entertain myself but always yeah so it would just be a melody in your head that you would try to remember Those words I just write I write all the time I write a lot for no reason, I just write. It's something I just have to do. Um, and so I always did that when I was young. I always wrote songs, but just like poems, basically. Right. Notebooks and notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of them. I also like to write down everyone's license plate number. I went through a phase where I had like a complete book of like every single license plate that we passed on the highway for three straight months. Even those kinds of things. I'll write them down. <laughs> it goes back to like MacGyver and my <laughs> crime-stopping days. Oh, no. Wow. Um, yeah, I just liked it. I like that. There's something so peaceful about it, but ever changing. Do you um, do you think that there are when you look? I don't know if you ever go back and look at any of your writings from that long ago, but from what you remember about the kinds of words that interested you, the kinds of rhythms that interested you, there were kinds of things that interested you. Are there? Do you feel like there are some constants that still? I don't look back at them, so I don't know. Yeah. I do know that I've always used it as a tool to express any kind of confusion that I'm feeling about anything, and that's my method of trying to figure things out is to write about them or sing about them or paint about them or do something about them. Right. Um, And so that will always be the case for me. That's always been my method of just kind of getting along um, and dealing with things. So I can't imagine there ever being a time in my life where I'm not confused about something or there is no problems or there's nothing to figure out. So, yes. Yeah. But I haven't looked back at those things. One day I think I will, but right now I'm just too busy writing more of it. You know? Yeah. What have you found in the various collaborators that you've had over the years is what intrigues you about 
you know, letting someone else engage with what you're making in that way? Because I think we're all really similar. You know, I think we all chose this because we have that side to us that needs to do it, that loves it so much. And in that environment with someone like that, you don't even need words. You, you just understand each other and you can make cool shit. And I think if this is like the life that you've chosen in the, in the art form that you do, you already get along on a level that doesn't need to be explained. Right, it's you know? subatomic or something. Yeah, there's just already, you're like, oh, that's my brother, that's my sister. You know right. what I mean? Oh, we're all kind of in this together. And with like people like Jamie or Jack or something like that, can you tell sort of right away, like within early moments of just meeting that person? Yes, yeah, very much. Yeah, immediately. Mm. I don't even have to talk. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a little gift we all get. You know what I mean? It's like everyone has their thing or something like that. And that's, that's ours. And it's, um, it's interesting. It's really interesting. It's so interesting to go into a musical situation with somebody that you maybe don't like know on like a friendly level, like you haven't gone to dinner or to anything like that. But you get into a room in that environment and you immediately, it's like you've known each other forever. And you can, it, there's, there's like a different language going on. Um, like a unity that unless you experience it you can't really uh, write down what that's called I don't know yeah and also just the idea that I'm sure you grow as a songwriter yourself just from being able to bounce ideas off totally. of people who are it's talented so, it's so interesting to see everyone's methods and the way that their minds move at different speeds in different ways like how one idea leads to another idea is always like this person would have gone to that idea but this person goes to that idea this person like went backwards out the door and is doing that upside down now you never know like and it, that's what's so fun about working with other people is that it's like oh god you know there is a thousand ways of doing this there's not a right or wrong way you know and and it makes you feel like especially for someone like me who's not musically trained you know and if you told me to play a chord and on a guitar I would not know where it was I don't know what that is. I just know how to do it for me, you know, right. and make it work for me, for what I need it to do. And, you know, and there's a lot of people I've met like that who are like some of my favorite guitar players who are like, play a C and they're like, what? Sorry. What? Like, you know, yeah, that's cool. And that makes me feel like anyone, you know, if you love something enough, you find your own footing with it, you find your own way. And that makes music really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you have to be unafraid. It's the same with painting. You know, I've been to school for painting and, and art, and I did a couple of years in college for it, and it was... I found it almost offensive to be told how to use my materials <laughs> because I developed my own way. It was like a certain paint or a certain kind of thing. I had a way of using it, or a, I had a, a relationship with it or a feel for it that was not what I was supposed to be doing but what I you know what I mean you kind of like if you're not trained you kind of invent things all the time right and um and that's really cool that can go really wrong too by the way terrible like, why isn't it working well it's because god you have to mix it with something else you know like, it's not like <laughs> that's my problem with cooking I'm like can I just make it's like it's do not combine thing. those flavors it's disgusting yeah you've just made vomit congratulations <laughs> yeah no I know it it's all about that though it's trial and error <laughs> find what works for you um have you have you ever had a collaboration that that didn't pan out or have you ever worked with a collaborator not that I'm asking for a specific example but um yeah, has ever have, have you ever had an experience that didn't quite work that kind of taught you about the Yeah, sure. I mean, there's things that people might think that work that work like that person might be really happy with it, but I don't really think anything with any boundaries were pushed or or I think it could have been 100 times better if yeah. someone was open to taking the risk. Um but but you know everybody wants a different thing and you and in that situation, like especially if I were to go sing on someone else's record or do something for like a TV show or something. Those people have a very clear idea about what they want and your role changes. So I'm not being the creator, I'm being like the instrument. So you need to, it's a different mode of thinking altogether. So I might walk away thinking, mm, it's not my favorite, but it doesn't matter because it suits their perfect, 
purpose perfectly. Right, you right. know what I mean? And it, and so I don't dwell on it. I don't think about it. And I don't actually even see a reflection of myself in it. I feel like I was just, I went in and it was part of a process of a, a vision that I'm happy with not being my own. Right. You know. But the things that are more satisfying on a, on a deeper level are obviously the things well, where you Well, that's when ac- magic ex- happens. And that's really rare. You know, you do something, you didn't even know the person, and you go in and you do something and you are just completely on the same page and something really cool happens that neither of you expected. And when you're open for that, really cool things can happen. Um, that happens. So it's really hit or miss, but I find all of it enjoyable. I'm guessing that with Jamie, it was probably pretty, pretty much immediately that once you started recording some of these ideas that you felt like, oh, this is, this is really special and exciting. I feel like we're always, we complement each other very well and we can go on our own journeys and they always meet back up and create something that we never even dreamed of making, you know, and that's the cool thing about us because we have different writing styles. We're good at completely different things and bad at completely different things. And it's nice to have that. You got to have that when you're working with other people. Sometimes you can't have two people that both are really great at like one thing, completely shit at the other side of it, because then you've got like a gaping hole, you yeah, know, because um, yeah. you can never quite push through. So I don't know. It's always a journey with him. I mean, I always feel like God. It feels like we just started all the time, which is insane to say after. How many years has it been? Like 16 years, 17 years. Yeah. That we're still figuring it out. That's, you know? yeah, that's awesome though. Yeah. That gives, there's room, mm. room to grow in there. Totally. When did you first start to feel like you found yourself as a performer on stage? Like, was it in discount still or? Still working it... on it. Still have really? no idea. Yeah. That's what makes it so exciting. I think that's why I'm obsessed with it. You know, I, you talk to any performer that is like the performer that blows your mind and you try to ask them that question and they just have no idea what they're doing, you know? And that's like, that always blows my mind. And then when someone asks me and I'm like, I know I've been doing this for so long, but I feel the same fear every time, every night before I go on stage. Like I want to be, I want to be James Brown, but I'm not, you know, or I want to be, you know, like the, I, you, you look up to these people or whoever, and it's not just James Brown, but you know, and you just see there, this immense amount of confidence and like, cool, you know, up there. And it's just like control, total control of the audience. That is the hardest thing in the entire world to figure out how to do, but because the energy in any room, in any city, in any country is different. And you don't know what you're walking into ever. You know, you don't know what kind of mood the collective is going to be in. And what you're doing as a performer is reacting to whatever they're putting out there. And, you know, you give them your best. And if nothing comes back, you're, you're doing changes. It starts to change and become something else. And you're reading the room and you're trying to get everyone to be one. Uh, and sometimes nobody will let you do it. Yeah. You know, and it's really, it's really, really hard. Do, do you know if James Brown had stage fright at all? I have no idea what James want, Brown was doing, but he should I want, dance. I mean, because I, I mean, I wonder if it's, you know, even, you know, a James, age quote unquote James Brown or Tina Turner or something like that. I don't know. You know, if they, if even they experience that kind of No one rolls out of bed and walks on stage like it's exactly the same thing. There's such an emotional transition between not being on stage and being on stage that has to take place in order for you to be up there. Just like this weird thing has to come from somewhere like and take you over, fully take you over and you have to submit to it. So it's a gamble every night. Is it going to take me over or am I going to be on the outside of it all this whole show? And the weirdest thing is half the time people can't tell the difference. And that's like, whoa, you know, there's shows I play and I'm like, the whole thing was like slogging through mud. Like I felt like I was never in it. And people are like, that's the best time I ever saw you play. And you're like, fuck off. <laughs> like, it was hell. And I couldn't wait to not be on stage anymore. You know, and those are the worst shows of your life. Because you have to wake up the next day and do it again. And think like, how can that never happen again? Even though it's all in your mind. It's totally, you yeah. know. And then but there's the, other good one, where the good ones are the ones like that fuel you, right? You're I mean. floating. You're floating. You don't even know how you did it. And you can't even remember it. It's like a dream. Are there, do you, do you in any way kind of train? I mean, do you do like, 
do you are you a runner or anything? Is there anything you do that you feel like okay, this is the the closest I can imagine to putting myself in that physical and, and mental space? I could do a lot more, you know, but I do. The older I get, uh, yeah, I have to do. I do a lot. I try to be really healthy, aside from all the cigarettes that I smoke, which you know that needs to go away at some point, but. I do a lot of Pilates, I do a lot of stretching, I do a lot of like strengthening stuff so that when I throw myself backwards I don't break my back in half or I hurt myself all the time on stage. You know, I knee myself in the face, I give myself a concussion and I keep on going and then I'm like, well one of these days I'm just not going to get up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I got to just be careful and like make sure that my body will bend those ways that I think it can when I'm really under the spell you know <laughs> the knee reaching the face is impressive it's very easy to do I can demonstrate it for you it's a common mistake <laughs> yeah when's the last time you kicked yourself in the face well I can tell you yeah um you know it, it's hard so all the traveling is is really hard on your body and planes and stuff especially I say I like moving but I do not like flying it really really messes you up you know um physically so so there's a lot of just like uh, you, you feel like you spend your whole 23 hours of the day and night training for this one hour like everything goes into that and down to what you eat what you drink how much water you have like how tired you are everything it's just like every little decision that you make is you know I mean I know at this point is going to affect what happens up there yeah. And if I know that I'm doing everything right, then I get that extra burst of confidence that I'll have the energy when I need it. You know, just knowing that or thinking that is a good thing. Because if I think, oh, I'm fucked, like I haven't slept, and um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that up there with me and worry the whole time. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna worry, or at least I'm gonna worry before I get out there. I used to get away with a lot. You know, you really bounce back in your 20s. You're just like, yeah, that's fine. All my bruises are gone. Like, everything's good, you know? Everything's fine. That ankle I twisted seems to be on the right way today. And you just carry on. But now I, I actually feel stuff. Yeah. And I can feel it. So that, that back bend is so no that's joke, okay. Man. I feel like it's going to be, it's a good thing for me. I'm glad, I'm so thankful to have something in my life that makes me have to think about those things. You know, I'll always know how I am because... I have to use my body like that, and I have to be healthy like that. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm thankful to have to actually pay attention to it, because I don't want to. I don't ever want to lose track of that. You know, I don't ever want to be unhealthy and feeling terrible all the time and not even knowing that I am. You seem to be a person who likes to have a lot to think about anyway. That a lot of things to to. Be, to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I, you know, I can I can relate to that sort of thing. I mean, I think like if you if you realize that about yourself that you want there to be a lot going on, kind of, then it's like easier to find happiness. I feel like this responsibility, and I don't know where, where why where it comes from, but again, I'm glad I have it. But I feel this responsibility in knowing what I can accomplish and how much I can do, and so I have to do it. And on days when, I, you know, I don't know if I'm coming or going, or even after, like, long tours where I'm just like, man, I haven't been able to be creative for a month because every free spare month must be sleeping. Like, there's, I'm only sleeping four and a half hours a night at this point. Like, I'm up for the airport. Like, yeah, all of yeah. that. You know, you start to just, like, part of your soul just starts to kind of drain. You're like, I'm not at my full potential. So when I get off the road, it is like gangbusters. It is like, I'm just like, okay, every single day I'm going to do like this 95 things. And, um, and, and I like that. My mom's actually like that too. I don't think it comes from nowhere. She's up, she's like 72 and she's up till four in the morning every day doing art in her, her studio. She's always awake. She's always awake. She paints as well. She paints. She does crafts. She does whatever. She'll refinish. She refinish these chairs for oh, me. Wow. You know, she kind of was like jack of all trades. She just likes doing stuff and making things, and so I get that hysteria from her. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, for, uh, I want to talk about the list of demands reparations cover. Okay. Um, and what in, just you know what inspired you guys to record that particular song? And also just you know I know there's tour dates surrounding it. Was was there just sort of was there an urge to kind of make something this year, or is it or is, are there more new songs kind of starting to come together? And that was a thing that happened in the midst of that. Kind of all of those things. I mean, yeah. That song was one of many, you know, that we've been blasting backstage on tour for all that time, for that 19 months. It was a song that Jamie and I just loved that we played to get, like, all revved up to go on stage. And then, I don't know whose idea it was that we needed to go record some covers for something. You know, that comes up. We're like, can you guys get in the studio for a few days and do this? And we're like, what should we do? And um, that was on the list. No pun intended. And, um... <laughs> and... And I loved it, you know, and it was at that point, like, heard this song a million times. I'm like, that would be great. And we went in and we recorded Step and Razor, and then we got to that one, and we were just like, how are we going to do this? The Saul's version's 300 miles an hour, and it really is so fast. It's like, I don't know how to sing like this. I can't even breathe. This is unbelievable. It's like drowning. <laughs> <laughs> um, really had to redesign my breathing patterns for this one. Um, but... It just turned out so great, you know, and we loved it so much. And, and I think it was a reaction from people we played it to that it was like, this, we could take the song to radio. You should do a video for this. Maybe we should do some shows, you know, and that, and that kind of like all snowballs. So if the songs had sucked, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. And I probably wouldn't be going on tour for, you know, in the summertime, yeah. or at least as much as I am going to be. Um, but it's great. It's great that people loved it. And um, well, it must feel good also just to bring a song that had its had an audience when Saul Williams released it. But yeah, um, to bring it to an audience that may not have heard it. It then. just feels like a very important song right now. Exactly. You know, and it's always been a very important song. But right now, like I think that was the other thing about like I wanted to sing those words. I felt like the way he wrote that was so interesting that you could apply it to so many people, like issues. It was just such a, like... Marginalized groups of people, you mean, yeah. But, like, anybody. Me. Right. I mean, I could sing it and, and just completely relate to it in, like, 25 different ways. You know? It's just such a great song. Yeah. Like, the words are so powerful. And, and you know, I was like, I know this has been released, and I know other people have covered it, but the, the song just needs to keep being heard. It needs to have a life that just, like, keeps on going. And so it, it felt really important when we were doing it. You know, I was immediately like, this has to be it. And um, so it makes me it makes me really happy that people like it, you know, and then it is getting it another kick in the ass. Yeah, I really liked what Saul wrote for... That was beautiful. ...about, you know, the song. Genius is crazy. Every time he writes something, I'm like, stop it, <laughs> stop it some more. <laughs> I encourage folks uh, who've heard the song, if you go to the Kills website, there's a, a note that Saul wrote about the inspiration for the song, you know, back when he wrote it, and also just sort of his appreciation for for the cover of it. Um, and so for now, um, you're going to do that tour, and then later on this year, some more art stuff, and enjoy yeah. your fucking life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Next, so. <laughs> next time you have a chance to do something that isn't a, a creative assignment that you've given yourself, uh, do you? Is there any kind of vaca- pure, unplug, disconnect, lay down somewhere? I am not good at that. I don't like it. No, I really hate vacation. I've tried to at the insistence of my friends to try it out, <laughs> and this is how I vacation. I bring all my shit with me, all my paints, all my papers, my guitar, like everything. Cause I'm just like so worried that I'm going to have an idea and want to do something and not going to be able to, cause I'm on fucking vacation. So vacation for me has turned into like, how do I make it set up like a, you know, my area? Like I need to get like everything going. It's just like, I'm at my house, but I'm like, then I'm like looking at a beach and I'm totally allergic to the sun and don't care about the beach. I'm making this little area. And so I'm trying to learn to love vacation, but I still don't think I'm doing vacation. <laughs> One day, guys, when I learn how to do vacation, I'll let you know. I'm really... I suck at it. Everyone tells me I suck at it, too. Listen, girl, you vacation the way you vacation. Thank you. Don't let anyone tell you how to vacation. Thank you. It's not that I'm not having a good time, everybody. I'm having a great time. 
my idea of a good time is just a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Okay. Thank you so much, Allison. You're welcome. So, yeah, The Kills are going to be playing some shows coming up. You can find all the details on that over at thekills.tv. Up next on episode 8 of LSQ, it's about 10 minutes worth of an interview I did in summer of 2007 with Kanye West. Then 30 years old, Kanye was on the cusp of releasing his third studio album, Graduation. He had already shared the song Stronger. Um, And, you know, I didn't really at that point have too many preconceptions about Kanye. I had loved his first two albums. He had started to be a firebrand for controversy already at that point. I'll post online uh, via Twitter a link to the article I actually wrote as a result of our interview, which was about 40 minutes in total. And as I say, you'll you'll just hear about 10 minutes worth. And the starting point here uh, in a bit of conversation that will address topics like arrogance versus insecurity and his uh, marketing of himself – We're starting with Kanye talking about how he considers it to have been a bold move to put out Stronger as the first single, considering that it was kind of an unexpected foray into dance music. So uh, let's get listening. I've never seen this type of thing right here before, and I think I have my finger on the post of what's good. I think I have just a taste level that... You know that I, that was raised in pop culture. I always liked things that were pop the best. You know, usually a lot of you know uh, people who are considered geniuses have uh, something against stuff that's pop. You know, like I, I liked you know NSYNC. You know, bye bye bye. I went to Justin's concert. I was mad he didn't do any of the NSYNC song. And let, let's not even say pop. Let's say. You know, I mean, I say pop because even though it has a negative connotation, I like you know forcing people to really look at the definition of what it is. Like, pop is not really a bad thing, you know? Right. Michael, you just know nothing better than Michael Jackson Thriller album. Yeah. There's nothing better than that fucking outfit he wore for uh, Billie Jean with the tuxedo with the, the white shirt and the red bow tie. Yeah. And, like, the, the socks and stuff like that with the penny loafers. There's no higher, better outfit. And that was pop, and it was popular for a reason. I think, yeah. like... You know, maybe the the best thing that I've done in the past, uh, you know, year might be that particularly, specifically, the glasses on Stronger. Mm. That might be the most, you know, across the board thing that connects maybe even more than the song. You know what I'm saying? So it goes from, you know, a good idea. I play a lot of, I play a lot of, uh, I wear a lot of hats. So I'll take it from... You know, a really, really great idea, fresh idea, and then I go into marketing mode. You know, but I, I, I haven't been quite as good at marketing. You know, as a like Fifty Cent or Jay or like Puff Daddy, the people. You know, if you are compared to how, how so? I mean, in what ways do you think you could be better at marketing? Um, just. Really uh, capitalizing uh, off of uh, you know my popularity more, right? But I think it's um, meaning selling those those glasses to anyone who wants them and yeah, making them like branding them as your thing. Yeah, just really putting the right people around me to that can really make that happen and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm, I I think I I think that, that might be a shot, you know, the shot to the people but you know it gets frustrating sometimes because you know I do a lot of things and I figure out a lot of things on my own mm-hmm. but sometimes it just feels like damn it's got to be other people that can kind of just pick up that ball so it's like I've been trying to figure that thing out so I don't have that down I have like you know hanging out and pressing a 60,000 seat stadium down yeah and like picking out a cool outfit or like coming up with an idea for glasses that people are like, oh wow, those are from the '80s, but I like those and I yeah. wear those. But as far as really, you know, figuring out how to put myself in a position where I say, you know, I don't have to do stadiums anymore, I don't have to perform anymore. Not that I wouldn't want to, right. I haven't quite figured that out, and that's like frustrating for me. Yeah. So it's like a challenge in my life. So the past few days, you know, I've been reading this, reading your press kit, and I was like, 
honestly, like, if I read one more story that's like, Kanye West is arrogant, like, I had to stop reading them after a while because I was just so, like, bored, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things I said in this, in this, um, in this conversation that a lot of people, you know, especially people with, um, low self-esteem or some lack of confidence themselves yeah. will walk out the door and feel like, wow, that was really arrogant of him to say that. Like, you know, the amount of times I refer to myself as a genius and shit, people would take that in a way, but it's actually me sitting back and saying, okay, these are the people who are entertainers. Yeah. And now, let me step away from it being me and just talk about entertainers or just talk about, okay, this is a guy on the TV screen now. Yeah. If I saw that, I would say... That guy is crazy right there, you know, like that he's one of the ones or something. Yeah. Like I have a because Yeah. Because I don't do that like American covered up with bullshit thing. Uh being a rapper and becoming a celebrity is like instant royalty. Yeah. The difference between rappers and royalties uh royalty, they've always been trained on how to conduct themselves. You know, in public, and yeah. that pe- make people feel a certain way. Okay. I had no training. I'm just a real person who always tried to move in a room full of nose, and always had to tell people, "Look, I'm gonna do this shit." Yeah. So now the point where I like did it, and people believe it, is like I'm trying to figure it out and like how to not tell people that I'm not to do it anymore because it pisses people off. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "You're too dope. Get the fuck out of here." <laughs> Pissing me off. It's like you know, like. Sometimes really pretty girls ruin a party. But I mean, I I, I, I noticed as well that you said as you've said a couple of times that like that it's possible that sometimes the things that you say that are interpreted as being like cocky or whatever, or things that you say to like kind of drive past you know actual insecurities or something like that. And I wonder what which would you say is more true? I mean, it's true more of the time. Would you say more of the time? It's the case that you're just speaking plainly in the way you see things or that you or that things that you say that are mistaken as arrogant are because they're coming from a, a level of insecurity or for like mask yeah masking insecurity yeah well the only thing I could think of that I did to mask insecurity was when I came up with this pose you know that, that pose I used to always do in shit which one I don't do it anymore and stuff like that. I just get on stage to kind of like, like, it was like this like pose. Like yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Like this and stuff. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, treat as the people are looking at you like that. I'm like, just picture everybody naked thing. Yeah. So, um, but the shit I said was really the way I felt and really the truth. I'm going to say something that contradicts stuff that I've said in other interviews. I would be more teetering on the delusional side than the insecure side. Like, in what yeah, way? Like, like a little kid. Like little kids, you ask them, you know, what they want to be, and they'll name some shit. Some <laughs> of them can never be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like all these journalists and all these people have been like trying to tell me the truth every time I say this shit that sounds so delusional. But what keeps fucking them up every year is I actually end up doing it. <laughs> like, fuck, what do we do now? I think people want their celebrities to admit to being insecure so they feel like they can relate to them more because well, I, everybody's insecure. I, I do have insecurities and I do have fear, you know. I'll be Sometimes I'm like so insecure about possibly not ending up number one, you know. I ended up being number two. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this number two spot? I don't know what to do with this silver trophy type thing. Right. Like, I'm not coming prepared to fucking lose, but I'm going to do all everything I can to get that number one spot. You know, and I'm, and like, award shows are kind of like championships for us. Yeah. So, like, if I'm like putting as much work in as Jordan does, like the like, 100,000 free throws or whatever it is, mm-hmm. if I get a technical foul, I'm gonna scream at the fucking refs. Yeah. I'm be like, don't know, you don't understand. Like, I put so much into this. Like, just give me a fair shake. Let's just look at this and really be like, okay, what is you know? And it's like, what can you do with the award shows? The shit is all set up, man. The shit is like wrestling. So yeah. now it's like, on one end, it's like you get the. And so I think, that, and this must be the way wrestlers feel about their shit. It's like, okay, 
The shit is not real, but the thing that's real is those kids with the fucking t-shirts. Like, cool, you're my favorite wrestler. Yeah. So that's how it is. It's kind of like the radios, the amount of radio spins is not real. The album sales are not real. And like connecting, like what's your connection with people, what's real is those kids with the t-shirts at your concert. Yeah. Everything else, this shit, all like, you know, I speak, shit gets paraphrased. Uh, you, you know, I'm just freestyling also, you know, like a, with a rap, I can rewrite it. Yeah. In an interview, uh, ah, that's what I thought to say at 11 o'clock in the morning type shit, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But yeah, and, 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 and closing, like everything is like, everything is a facade and perception. Everything is really the matrix. And the only thing that's real is like the kids with the t-shirts at your concert. Oh yes, we've reached the end of another episode of LSQ. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so new episodes are right there waiting for you as soon as they come out. Plus, if you've been enjoying the show, maybe leave a rating or a review. Hmm, maybe? Also, you can reach me with feedback and questions, etc. on Twitter, at JennyLSQ. Um, and thanks to Allison Mosshart again for her time. Thanks to Kanye West, circa 2007. Uh, and yeah, come back again in a few weeks. I'm not sure which episode it'll be yet. I haven't decided, but maybe Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie. Maybe Rostam. Still sorting it. Thanks for being a listener. Uh, have a good one, y'all.